Hey everyone, how's it going? And welcome back to Citywide Blackout, your home for the best creators from around the world. For this episode, I'm chatting with author Joseph Phalanx for his new novel, Renewal, out September 13th through BHC Press. This is a powerfully written and very honest story about a family coming to grips with the reality that their patriarch is afflicted with Alzheimer's. We look at how the main character, Malcolm, who has been separated from his family for two long years, reconnects with his father and adjusts to the role as his caregiver. We look at the subjects of Joseph's past works, including The Painted Lady and Disconnected, and the inspirations that led to them. Personally, I cannot wait to read Disconnected. It sounds wonderfully terrifying. And we also talk about some of his ideas for future works. That one I know you want to learn about. So kick back, relax, and enjoy. We'll be talking all about the soon-to-be-released book, Renewal. This is out September 13th through BHC Press. It's going to be out in hardcover, paperback, and ebook versions. And I've just started reading this book, folks, and I am already very, very into it. And joining me now to talk about everything and more about this title is author Joseph Phalanx. Joseph, welcome to the show. Good to have you here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. All right. So... Why don't we start by just giving us a quick rundown as to what Renewal is all about? Okay, so Renewal is about uh, this guy. His name is Malcolm. He is a teacher. He gets a, a message one day in the middle of his class that his father, his father's health is kind of taking a turn for the worse. His father is dealing with Alzheimer's disease, and now he's kind of getting into the end stages of that. He's becoming violent. He's forgetting more things. So it kind of becomes this this like call to action where Malcolm has to decide, you know, do, do I go home? You know, he's had a lot of issues with his family, with his father. So going home is not an easy decision for him. So he ultimately decides that he he is going to go home. He knows there's going to be a confrontation with his dad. He knows there's going to be a lot of the past brought up and he knows he's going to be dealing with his father's memory issues. Like if they make amends, is that going to stick? Um, I'd like to start with um, the theme of coping with someone who uh, um, who is suffering from Alzheimer's. Why did this condition become uh, one of the themes of the story? So initially, um, when uh, I was coming up with the story, I, I wasn't immediately thinking of Alzheimer's disease. I wanted to do a story where we had a parent and we had a child, and there were gonna there was gonna be a role reversal. The child was gonna have to take care of the adult as that happens in so many people's lives. Looking into different ailments that the parent could suffer from, Alzheimer's kind of felt at first like a very easy decision to, to put on him and it kind of felt cliche, but then I did some research into Alzheimer's and it's, it's so terrifying. It's not just forgetting, it's like identity loss. It's, it's, it's a person who is, very aware that they are losing themselves slowly over time. So that that's what hooked me into actually using Alzheimer's disease as the the ailment for the father character. Tell me about the father. What uh, what was his relationship like with the rest of the family, and how is he sort of dealing with realizing what's what lays ahead for him? Um, as as you uh, find out through the course of the novel, the, the character Dennis he really struggles with this losing his identity like there are times when he doesn't he's not quite aware that he's making lapses where he's having these mishaps with memory and he's reminded of them and 
it's it's very difficult for him. Prior to his diagnosis, I think everything was positive. Everything was great. He was uh, everything that a father should be, right? Takes care of his family. Um, He and his wife were together, but then you you find out pretty early in the book, his wife, Malcolm's mother, um, she started um, losing her battle with cancer. And around the same time is when Dennis's Alzheimer's was uh, diagnosed. So they're dealing with two separate battles and they both know neither of them is gonna win this. The, the mother goes first, leaving the father now alone, angry. He, he knows he's got this disease that will eventually take everything away from him. So I think this changes him and that obviously affects Malcolm who separates himself from his family. It's not a, he knows it's not the right decision, but he just reacts um, instinctively. Yeah. Well, you know, loss like that obviously can be very, can be very devastating and how you deal with it. There's no roadmap. It is for every person, a very unique uh, situation. Um, uh, You mentioned earlier about doing research into, uh, into Alzheimer's. Do you know folks or do you yourself have any kind of real life experience with just being a caregiver? Um, I mean, I have two kids. <laughs> I have I have not yet had to deal with I've not yet had to deal with um, anything with my own parents or my in laws yet. Um, but I did uh, through the course of doing my research. I do remember my grandfather. He was dealing with cancer himself when I was younger, and I remember because my mother would spend nights taking care of him. I remembered the story that she taught. She told us about. He woke up um, in the middle of the night one night, and he was convinced he had to go to work at a gas station. Just woke up convinced he had, he got up and he, he had to go to work. And it was like, wow, you know, like so, so powerful this disease can be to convince you of such a lie. I've never had to deal with it myself in, in terms of being a caregiver, but you hear stories about people who they just kind of wander off in the middle of the night and they, they're found like miles away, no idea what's going on, convinced, like you said, that they have to be somewhere else. How do you convey that kind of anxiety and that kind of just like what that person has to deal with in your uh, in your story? Basically, just through the powerlessness, like Malcolm, he doesn't know how to deal with this. He he um, especially since he's been absent for two years, he's not been in the thick of this with like his brother. The brother is the one who contacts him to tell him, you know, this is getting worse. You need to come home. So I felt like um, the, the powerlessness but also like he's just being thrown right into the trenches. He's not coming in and it's, you know, oh, dad's just forgetting a couple things. It's no, dad is now potentially violent. Um, You never know what you're gonna get with him at any given moment. So that like in the story that my hope is that what that does, it kind of creates a little bit of suspense, a little bit of tension in that you don't know what to expect. How is Malcolm's reconnection with his father? How does that go? Not to not to spoil it, although I mean, you, you kind of can figure out they're gonna reconnect, right? That's you know part of the book. Um, I really did not want to make that too big of a focus. I kind of wanted that to resolve itself relatively quickly, because there's they have a task that they're working on together, and there's all like the Alzheimer's disease is always gonna be this like antagonist. So rather than continuously drag on their their conflict, I wanted that resolved as early as I could, because also 
with the Alzheimer's, you never know if that's really going to last. Like, is Dennis going to suddenly forget? Oh yeah, we, we made up. And will he go back to that? You haven't talked to me in two years. You know, what are you doing here? So kind of like an unreliable narrator, you know, you never really know what's going on one minute to the next, you know, is this relationship finally fixed or is it fixed right now? Is something else going to pop up later? How about the rest of the family? How do they deal with just the fact that Malcolm's been gone for two years and kind of away, uh, like you said, uh, not in the trenches for this? Um, his brother is pretty forgiving of it. I think he understands with what happened because um, the, the the source of the problem is that Malcolm got divorced. He he and his wife just realized it was not going to work for them. and But that's not the way that his father and his mother did things. You know, you don't give up. You know, we, they were, they came up at a time where no matter what happened, you, you stayed together. So those differences is kind of what drives them apart. But then it's also part of the disease that Malcolm is not quite ready to accept. Okay. So kind of just takes all of this on his shoulders and says, no, I'm, I'm done. And he disappears. And the rest of the family doesn't necessarily hold that against him. They, they're kind of hoping that they can just win him back to come back home does he have that same family devotion though when it comes to just being with the family i want to say he does i want to say he does because i think deep down he is he is a flawed but he's a very good person he knows when he's done something wrong he he knows what he needs to do but i think just like all of us sometimes we are very reluctant to you know face those hard struggles and have to do something that we don't want to, especially like with Malcolm, he knows now, he knows going home means conflict, it means struggle, but it also means facing his father whose his journey is just about over in this life. And Malcolm is about to realize he's not gonna have either parent. That that whole like safety net we all have sometimes, you know, those of us who still have both parents, you know, once, I, I, I feel like, um, this book is kind of like a second coming of age. You know, there's a coming of age when you have a, a, a child becoming an adult, but then when an adult doesn't have their parents anymore, now like, now they're in the world without that safety net. So I think Malcolm knows he's not gonna have that safety net much longer. How do you think he would handle that though? Yeah, he's been without it for a couple of years. Do you think he would see it as a, that big a loss? Yes, yeah. I think he wouldn't necessarily admit it to anyone outright at first, but I think uh, internally, internally he feels that. And I think like there are moments when it's him and his brother, Randy, and they're talking. And I, I think you see that real, like the connection he really does have to his family, like in those moments when he can kind of let that out. I want to go back a bit to the question on research. You know, as you mentioned, you, uh, you did a lot of research into this book. And of course, talking to writers, we, uh, research is kind of the best slash worst part of the process because it's cool to learn all these different things. But then like weeks later, you're thinking, man, I should probably like write something after, uh, after spending uh, so much time just diving into all these different stories. But what was research like for you? Did, did you spend like a lot of time on this before writing the book? So uh, the first things I did was I put out on my Facebook, you know, writing this book, kind of wanting to um, look into Alzheimer's a little bit and uh, in-home care, because it was really important to me that 
Dennis was at home, that all of this take place mostly at home. Like this book is very isolated in a way where a lot of it takes place in one setting. So I had uh, probably a group of like six or seven people reach out and say, you know, I'd be glad to share my story with you. And so I would talk to them and I got like little bits and pieces. I didn't want too much because like you said, you know, you start doing all this research and then you're like, well, I should be writing. So what I did was I kind of got bits and pieces and then I wrote the book, wrote the book. I did a couple drafts and then I sent it to them and I said, Hey, you know, if you want to read it, let me know if I went too far in any places or if it's too unrealistic. And to my shock, they, everybody replied saying, Nope, you've got it. No two Alzheimer's patients are ever alike. Like what one experiences is not what someone else experiences. They said this, like the things that he goes through, they had either heard of it, seen it themselves. So then I, I kind of felt like affirm, okay, this, this is, this is ready then. Yeah, exactly. It's always good to get that stamp of approval when it comes to the subject for your story, because you never want to put uh, put it out there and then get the email saying, yeah, you know, like my father suffered from, from Alzheimer's. You were way off base. It's nothing like this. It's always good to have that like expert opinion, basically. Yeah, I, I didn't want to I didn't want to create anything that was too over the line. Mm -hmm. Did you wind up incorporating what people told you, either the people or the situations directly into the story? Um, no, no, all, all of Dennis's experiences are fiction. I think I, you, there, there might've been a story about a different Alzheimer's patient that I think I did, uh, crib from one of the stories I did here, of course, changing the names, changing the situation just a little bit, but for the things that Dennis and Malcolm go through together, those are all, that was all completely invented. Hmm. What did you learn about the impacts to caregivers, especially after they're doing it for a while? It was, it was very important to me that Malcolm make mistakes. He, he, does, he meets a, a woman in the story and you think that they're going to hit it off and he completely messes it up because he's so exhausted. He's so wrung out. He's so emotionally drained. He, he would like to get his life back on track with, with this meeting a new person, with being being there for his daughter, which is another kind of subplot in the book, but because he's just constantly at the the need of his father, he he messes every, he, he messes everything up, and he can't help it. How does he take those mistakes? Is he the kind of person to be really hard on himself? Yeah, like I, I think this Malcolm is someone who kind of like myself makes a mistake, internalizes it, doesn't necessarily vocalize it all the time, but it's like man, I messed up, you know, how, how am I going to fix this? And then he's so worried about fixing that one thing. He makes more mistakes. So definitely kind of like a snowball character. Like he just screws up and he gets worse and worse and worse. Yeah. Um, all right. Now, as I mentioned, I am already reading this book and definitely really, really enjoying it. And one of the things I caught was the level of detail. You are very good at painting a picture with your words. Um, oh, thank you. And I also like the care you took into even like the small kind of side characters, you know, like, for example, uh, Malcolm is a school teacher and reading the story and interacting with with like the with uh, the student characters, they really seem like real people. They're not just like space fillers. But that's a long winded way to ask you, how do you know when you have a scene in the book nailed with regards to detail? Uh, so I, we are we're talking about the opening scene in the book, right, mm -hmm. where he yeah. is. So I was super worried in writing that, that 
as soon as I, I sold the book to someone, they would read it. They'd be like, no, this needs to go. Like, this has nothing to do with the rest of the book. So when I was writing that, well, when I was actually revising it, going back, because when I write the first draft, I write it however I want. So when I was uh, editing it, I was like, oh, I need to make this so important that it's not going to get cut. And I really wanted you to see that despite the failures Malcolm has in all the other areas of his life, he's a good teacher and he is a good person. Like the, the lessons he's teaching his kids, um, they're, they're talking about bullying. They're talking about the differences in, in kids, the age that he's teaching. And it was very important for me that Malcolm comes across as, even though he's very flawed and not always likable, that he is a good person and that I wanted the kids in his classroom to be real so that, you know, if they're real, then he seems even more real and he's someone we can really latch onto for the rest of the book. Now, I'm I'm not a novelist at all, so my perspective is more from the reader, but I liked that opening scene because I felt it, number one, kind of eases, eases us into the story rather than just jump right into, like, you know, the deep end and his father and everything he's dealing with. But I think it also kind of set kind of set the stage for Malcolm. We kind of learn a lot about this guy through those like opening pages. Um, mm. Do you like usually open all your books like this? I try to. I do try to open with something that sets the stage for what what your the main character is going to be like. Not necessarily start with what problem they're going to deal with through the course of the book, but open with something where, okay, I know who this person is very quickly. I know you know, their attitude, their feelings, I, I can pretty much see them in my head. That's what I want you to have so that no matter what I give to you, you you'll accept it a lot more if you like this person and you're, you're with them through their struggle. Do you like Malcolm as a person? Do I like Malcolm? Mm-hmm. I do like Malcolm. I, I, sympathize with him a lot because I don't want to say that I wrote me into him, but I think in every main character, we put a little bit of ourselves into them because, you know, we are flawed people. So why not put some of the flaws into that character and then through them, see how they get their redemption or how, you know, how they succeed. Now, this is definitely not a spoiler question, but I do want to ask about like later scenes in the story. As things get worse with Malcolm's father, did you find yourself feeling any trepidation dealing with those scenes? Like, okay, am I getting this right? Am I conveying these things properly? I did kind of worry that it would get to be slightly unrealistic for those who maybe don't know a lot about Alzheimer's or um, who think maybe I'm just going like above and beyond for each instance where the Alzheimer's presents itself. Yeah, I was like concerned. And, but then, like I said, when I initially wrote it, I just kind of went all out. And then when I gave it to the the beta readers, the, the people I talked to, and they were like, no, you've got this. Then I felt like, oh, okay. So you know, I can tinker with it here and there. I could maybe make something a little, maybe make it funny where, you know, just to kind of give you that relief, a little bit of humor or, you know, hmm, maybe I can go just a little bit farther. Like, um, it's not a huge spoiler, but there is like one, one time where Malcolm is constantly woken up in the night. And one of the times is he's 
basically rushing upstairs because he hears the shower on and it's because his father woke up thinking he was on fire. And it's like, that's such a terrifying thing to wake up to in the middle of the night. And it's not like this, it's not like four or five pages long. It's very brief. And I did struggle with that part. So I thought, wow, is that, is that going too far? But then maybe sometimes it needed to go, you know, to be really serious so that you know what he's dealing with. I would imagine you can't pull your punches there because that scene probably is what similar to what a lot of folks who care for patients with Alzheimer's go through. Yeah, probably even worse. They probably Prob- go through work. Probably, probably. And uh, you definitely don't want to write a soft or kind of like nice story here because it's really got to be brutal. Yeah. I want to talk a bit about your other books. This is your fifth book out now. And reading about your other stories, uh, those are uh, Seeing, The Painted Lady, An Unexpected Visit, and Disconnected. The subject matter is really wide-ranging. I think, actually, uh, Disconnected is the one I want to read next because that seems just, like, dark as hell. But I'm mm-hmm. curious as to where, the, kind of, as to where uh, the concepts come from and kind of how you know when you've got something that would make a great story. Okay, well, so we'll go in order. Uh, Seeing was my first book. And when I decided that I wanted to write novels, because not not to take up a whole lot with this part of the answer, but um, I grew up writing. I loved writing, but I never thought I would be a novelist. Like Stephen King writes novels. I don't write novels. Like, but eventually it was it was um, my wife who kind of said to me, you know, like, well, what is it that you want to do, you know? with your life. I mean, I, I work in education, so I have, I have a job, but I was like, you know, I really, I really want to write books. So she gave me a notebook. She gave me a pen and to get me started, like back onto writing. And so I thought, well, okay, if I was going to write my first novel, what's my first novel going to be about? And I really wanted to do a coming of age. And the first picture I got in my head was of this boy running a race. He's running a race, but he's not he's not mentally in the race. He's running towards something that only he can see. So then I had to start going backwards. Well, what does he see? And that's how I came up with the story for seeing for the first book. Um, For the painted lady, I wanted to do something completely different from my first book. I didn't want anyone to be able to compare them. I didn't want someone to say, oh, this isn't, this is just like seeing. So I wanted to do something where I had just, um, I had just become a father and I thought I thought of a person like someone who lost everything. Like this guy loses his wife. He found out early on he can't have children. Uh, the only thing he has is his art. So uh, I wanted to come up with a story where his art kind of starts coming to life. But we don't know if it really is coming to life. So that was the basis of The Painted Lady. Um, an unexpected visit was, again, because because I'm a dad, like my some of my first thoughts go to, well, how can I incorporate children into the books? So an unexpected visit was, what if what if there was this father who was just maybe he just wasn't a good father, but then he wanted to make amends for everything he did wrong. So then uh, an unexpected visit became about a father reaching out to his son to spend some time with them but they have this really like awkward get together over this weekend. And it's, it's the son who's like writing about it many years later. Uh, Disconnected came from actually a weekend that my family and I spent in the Adirondacks. 
we were in this house that was like in the middle of nowhere. We didn't have uh, internet on our phones. We didn't have anything. And we were like laying in bed and I thought, wow, you know, if something happened to us, who could we call? No one would ever know. And immediately then it was like, oh, that's, that's a book idea right there. And my wife, my wife, she, she likes the book for, because it was, because of how it turned out, but she is, she hates that whole idea. I would too, actually. It's like, that's a terrible thing to think, but, <laughs> but it's a great concept for a story. And like I said, reading the description, I thought, man, that's a good story. You know, I, I want to like read that. So do you have this, just this like notebook full of like discarded story ideas? I, I do have a notebook just full of ideas and I would love to say I'm going to get to write them all, but then I'm always adding more. And some, I, like, I know, like, um, like right now I'm trying to think of what my next book will be, but I also try to think of the, uh, what is my trajectory? What am I, what have I written about before? What is the next logical step? So like, you know, I wrote renewal. Well, my next book's not going to be about zombies. That feels like a huge jump in a totally different direction. So, so no, it, you know, it won't be zombies maybe eventually and I'll work, you know, towards that. But um, yeah, I have a bunch of ideas and it's really like, what do I feel most connected to that I could spend basically two years on and then see published? Yeah, out of a zombie story would be, I mean, I think for you, I definitely think you could do a really good job with a zombie story, but I also think like, eh, I guess I just don't know if that's you being used to the fullest extent, you know, because you're so good at like uh, crafting characters. Were you always that way, though? You know, I think so. Like, um, it's just how it, it's the stories that that draw me in. Like, I am all for I, I'm. I'm not personally for stories that are huge and epic and go in different worlds and go in different places. I like three or four characters who are stuck in a situation and they have to figure their way out of it. They have to build the relationships with those around them. Like those are the stories that draw me in. So no sprawling fantasy epic for you. Probably not. <laughs> if I, if I, if I did do something like that, it would be so like, Probably people wouldn't even like it because it'd be so personal that we would only follow a few of those like characters and we would only go to, to certain places. And yeah, I, I don't know if that's quite in my wheelhouse. Maybe kind of like narrow the focus, make it uh, about like one or two characters, not this huge like epic party kind of thing. Right, right. Like it would probably be like the the initial person. It'd be like taking the matrix and just making about Neo and Morpheus. And that's it. Like just Morpheus teaching Neo, you know, Hey, you are the one and I'm going to prove you, prove it to you that you're the one. And that would be my book. Hey, I read it. That sounds good. Actually. This sounds really good. <laughs> right, I'm going to, I'm going to make a note of that right now. There you go. <laughs> I actually did notice after this book, you actually dedicated this uh, to your wife and it sounds like she had a real integral role in you getting started as a writer. Does she ever give you like feedback on, the book did she ever like read it and say okay this this and this so i am very lucky in that my wife is very honest she will tell me if something doesn't work for her so like when i say to people you know oh, my wife you know she loved it that's not like the oh yeah you just showed your artwork to your mom and your mom loves it no no she she would be brutally honest if she didn't like it like i i said she she hated the idea of disconnected 
but she loved the book for how haunting it was. That was her direct quote to me when she finished reading it. She's like, that book of that book is haunting. And I was like, yes, I nailed it. Good. That's a great quote for the cover. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if, you know, you see my name on the book cover and then you see her name as the quote. I don't know how, how people would feel about that. <laughs> uh, pen name. Give her a pen name. That's right. There we go. So when it came to this book, uh, did she have any feedback that kind of shifted the story either one way or another? No, actually, um, she didn't read it until it was quite late. I'm I'm also very picky. And when I have her read a book, because my wife is not someone who reads books. So I have to be like, I have to make sure that I am confident that I've got it. I've nailed it. And I can say, here's the story, you know. Take, t- take the time to read it. Um, no, her feedback is always, um, I don't want to say like she she asked me to change anything because usually, like I said, by then, I feel I've nailed it. I feel I've got it. Everything is justified. You know, it's really like, do you just like it or not? Has she ever said no to something, like a story idea or a book idea? She said, no, this would be terrible. Don't write it. It's awful. She hasn't said no, um, but I like I bounce ideas off of her, like occasionally, oh, I have this idea. And I can tell from the reaction if it's something I should write or not. Um, I had this idea and even I'm not fully confident in it yet. Um, I had this idea like a couple months ago, we were driving uh, to my parents' house. We were on the highway and all of a sudden I saw this, um, this flash. And I was like, oh, what was that? And it, it was like just some transformer like on some telephone pole that like just exploded. And I just, for some reason that got me thinking, got me thinking. And I was like, what if, like, what if we were these people just driving down the road and they saw like, they saw something that they thought like, oh, was that an explosion? No, it couldn't have been, you know. But then all of a sudden traffic ahead of them stops and people start getting out of their cars and they're armed and it's almost like this like sudden takeover of kind of like how our world is right now. We have people who are on two completely different sides, like these extremist people. And I thought, what if they organize this one day where they just take everything over? Not necessarily to hurt, but just to prove that, hey, we could do this. And I thought, it's a terrifying idea, but it's too political. And I'm not going to reveal politically where I am. I I just want what's best for every person. That's where I am. So that's not really on either side. But I thought, wow, like with the way our world is, I don't think I could write this and not piss somebody off. And I'm never looking to do that. But I don't want to write something so divided, even though we are divided as a people right now. But I knew I bounced that idea off her. She was like, mm. Yeah, that's that's a little too much. Yeah. Like you said, I don't think you could avoid making that political in some fashion or other. At some point, you would be making very clear which side of the fence you're you're uh, falling on. Yeah. It's a cool idea though, actually. I mean, I I think it's a kind of a cool idea, but yeah, yeah, right right now that's a that's a dodgy thing not, to do. Yeah, it's not an idea for right now. Definitely not. Definitely not. So then what would you say your goals are as a writer? What do you hope people kind of take from your books? My goal is always to make the reader feel something. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you've read any of the, the reviews for Renewal. I, 
I probably shouldn't, but I read them. And like, some of these people are just like, oh my gosh, it was like, I like, I cried. It was, it was sad. It was this, it was, and I was like, that's exactly what I wanted. Like, I want you to read it and feel something. Nice. Nice. (laughs) So with disconnected, just abject terror. Disconnected. I wanted to, yeah, basically I just wanted to write this quick, um, the, everything is just going right to hell for these people very quickly. And you're, you're wondering the whole time, how, how are they going to get out of this? Mm. I, I would say that that is probably the scariest thing I've written, even though like, it's not monsters, it's not blood and guts. It's, it's more psychological. And yeah, that, that to me is probably the scariest thing I've written. Well, I'm definitely never going hiking in the mountains. So thanks for that. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right. So release day at the time of this recording is, is only about two weeks away. How are you on release day? Do you really just dive right in full force? You know, I, I've been doing it all along from from the moment I knew that this was that renewal was going to be published. And we had the date. Uh, I think immediately I was doing like, oh, it's 292 days, blah, blah, blah. And I would um, occasionally do a post counting down the days. Um, I, I, I have been all in on this and I will go as, as all in as I can. My biggest fear, like this, this is the hardest part for me is the sell. I, I love doing interviews. The, this part is great, but I'm so awkward with the sell because that's not who I am. I'm not a person who's like, Hey, buy my book. You know, it's going to be great. No, I would much rather someone else read it. And then they put their quote out there and I'm like, Hey, look, this person loved it. Maybe you'll love it. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Selling your stuff can be very hard to do, you know, but I like how all in you have been because I've seen some of your Twitter posts and you're just like, you know, you know, doing these interviews only, you know, this much time, time to go the books out pretty soon. <laughs> Clearly you're very, very into this. Cause I, I know some folks when it comes to release day, they're just like, Nope. I just turn my computer off. Chuck my phone down the drain. I want nothing to do with the outside world because the stress is so intense. Um, it is. And there are some times where I wish I could do that mm. because I'm not like I'm not a very extroverted person. Like me in the real world is like super quiet. My father-in-law, he saw one of my other interviews and he's like, that's the most I've ever heard you talk. So this will <laughs> be the second most he's ever heard me talk. Because that's just me. I'm just quiet by nature. I take in everything. I don't necessarily always add to the conversation or start my own conversation. But um, Twitter, I, I really like because it's very quick. You put out a little thing and, you know, you, you hope somebody sees it. You can only do so much. Exactly. And I'll try to do, And I'll try to do as much as I can as we get there. Hmm. Do you think you've gotten better at doing release days as you've released more books? Do I think I've gotten better with release dates? I think so. I think so. Um, I can definitely tell you when, when the painted lady was released, I was, um, my daughter was, she was just about a year old and I was taking her out because uh, I work in education. I'm off for the summer. That book came out, I think it was August 6th of 2015. And we were out for a walk, I was pushing her in her stroller and I thought, wait a minute, my book came out today. And I totally forgot, like totally slipped my mind because like I'm home, I've got my daughter, like I lost track of days in the summer. So 
Yeah, I, th- I think over time I've gotten better with the release dates. <laughs> that is hilarious. I love that story. Well, you know, you know what you should do is since this will be out during the school year, you can tell all your students, hey, kids, tell your parents to, uh, you know, get the copy of Renewal out right now. You know, you know what's funny about that is my students, they um, they thought it was cool that I was getting my getting a book published. But other than that, they couldn't care. <laughs> they couldn't care. Oh, man. I'm not- I'm not like a celebrity to them. <laughs> ah, we should, man. You know, if you're on teacher, I'd be, I'd be like, oh man, I can't wait to check out his, his new book. Cause I was that kid in, in school. I was all about the books. Yeah. They'll be like that later though. Mm. Later in life. I'm like, oh yeah, I had this guy. He was, you know, he was a writer. <laughs> see, see, they're going to wish that they had gotten their like autographed copy. I know. Missed opportunities, kids missed opportunities. All right. So, of course, the big question is, what is next for you? What's the next book going to be? Well, um, I can reveal here publicly for the first time that BHC Press has asked me to submit for them for my next book. And I have two books that I will turn into them at the end of the year. And it could be one of them. It could be both of them or it could be neither of them. We will, you know, we'll see. Um, one of them is a, what I'm calling a short story novel called No Common Day. And I call it a novel because it's short stories of characters in the same town, but it hops around two different stories. Some of them kind of bleed into the other, you know, you might be reading one story and you learn about a character from a different one. So it's basically the lives of all these people in one day. And then the other book is a slightly shorter novel called Gone. And quite simply, it's about six friends who gather at a lake house for an overnight and they start to vanish one by one. Now I can never go to a lake house. Thank you. You're well, well <laughs> what, what place, what places should I avoid? I'll make a list. <laughs> I'm actually going to, to a lake house for Labor Day weekend. So thank you. You've... <laughs> Quick cancel. Oh my God. <laughs> That's a good story, though, man. I like it. I like it. All right. All right. Well, Joseph, thank you so much for talking to me. I really appreciate this. And, folks, one more time, September 13th, get your copy of Renewal. It's available in hardcover, paperback, ebook. Go to your local bookstore. If they don't have it on the shelf, order it. That's what they do. And if you want more information, you go to Joseph Phalank, F-A-L-A-N-K.com for more information. And while you're there, buy, buy his other books. They're really, really good. And Joseph, uh, looking forward to next time we talk for the next book. Yeah, absolutely. I am so excited to have done this. Picture this. You finished your first book and nailed it. The plot, the characters, all the twists and turns. This one's a winner, and all you need is the right cover. If you've got my art skills, this is the part where panic usually sets in. Enter the cover villain. Hero to writers everywhere. Founded by noted author Remy Flagg, Cover Villain focuses on composite image covers for science fiction and fantasy writers. Give them the details, and they'll craft a cover using popular trends that everyone will want to see. But wait, you say, I've got ideas of my own. No problem, as Cover Villain loves a good collaboration. As they say, our goal is to put a little villain in every cover we make. Want to know more? Then head to CoverVillain.com and follow them on Facebook and Instagram. And that brings this episode to a close. Big thanks to Joseph for joining me. And once again, September 13th is the big day 
check this book out. You will not regret it. You can follow the show on Facebook under Citywide Blackout and Twitter and Instagram under Citywide Max. Get to me at citywidemax at yahoo.com and check out the show wherever you find your favorite podcasts, as well as every Saturday at 10 p.m. on Boston Free Radio. That's all for now, and I'll see you next time.